That was great singing and a great hymn, a great reminder for us tonight. So thanks to Dean and all of those who have been leading us in our worship over the course of this day. So tonight, this is our second week looking at Gideon and looking at this particular chapter of Scripture, Judges chapter 6. And I want you to keep in mind as we turn to this particular passage tonight that what we are reading here is part of a much bigger and greater story that is running all the way through this book and indeed through the Old Testament. It is a story of the, the people's failure, their, their failure to be the people that God has called them to be because the people in question are the children of Israel. And then this great story of God's faithfulness. He does not get things wrong in this relationship. He keeps the covenant promises that He has made to His people, and we see Him doing it well in this book. We see how He loves to save His people. So, let's quickly recap on what we've discovered about Gideon so far from last week. Gideon is regarded as being one of the great Bible heroes, but in actual fact, when we meet Gideon for the first time in this chapter, he is anything but heroic. In fact, Gideon is pretty fearful and weak and indecisive. And as we go on through this story over the next couple of weeks, you'll see that he's pretty clueless too. And no wonder because he is living in such a challenging time for God's people. It is not an easy time for them to stand apart as the people of God. And so, Gideon provides for us a wonderful biblical example of God's strength at work in someone's weakness. And that is a message that we need to hear at this particular time in the life of our church. It's a message that I think, without exception, all of us need to hear individually in our lives as believers, because we're all too aware of our weakness, of our frailty of faith. And so, we need to be reminded of that great biblical truth that God's grace is sufficient, that we don't need to actually come seeking the sufficiency of God's grace. It is a given in His Word, and that His strength is made perfect. In other words, His strength is perfectly displayed in the midst of our weakness. With that in mind, let's turn again to Judges 6. And we heard the background at the beginning of our reading. Look again at verse 1. This is the, the, the state of play. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, a recurring phrase all the way through the book. And for, the, and for seven years, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So, the vital thing to recognize is that the deliverance of the people into the hands of their enemies is the Lord's doing. This is His work. So that when the Israelites then cry out to the Lord for help, He chooses someone to lead them and to go into battle against the Midianites. And as the Lord appeared to Gideon to, to, to commission him to this task, remember the way in which He referred to Gideon down in verse 12. As the ESV puts it, O mighty man of valor. That's the Lord's title for Gideon. 
brave man, mighty man. And yet, do you remember where Gideon was when he received that message when the Lord first appeared to him? Look at the previous verse again. We're told in verse 11 that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. And we, we thought about that picture. That picture is all wrong. That scene is totally inappropriate because here is Gideon doing an outside job inside. Why is he inside? Because he's hiding away from the very people who God is sending him to beat. He's keeping out of the way. He's keeping his crops out of the way of the Midianites. So, he isn't exactly brave and mighty when we first encounter him in this story. And yet, here is the the source of his strength on down in verse 12. Here is the key. The Lord is with you. And so, what I want us to do this evening in the time remaining is to look at the remainder of this passage in a very quick way. Look at the remainder of this dialogue in the chapter between Gideon and the Lord. And just to clarify one thing, while the one that Gideon is speaking to is sometimes referred to as an angel of the Lord, and then we get this sense that God is speaking to him directly, be sure that what is going on here is that there is a dialogue, a conversation taking place between Gideon and God. That's so important that we recognize that. And I want to look at this conversation and the action in the rest of this chapter under three headings. The first heading is big questions, because Gideon asks two important questions of the Lord in verses 13 and 15. The first question could be described as being theological. And in fact, it's one I suggest that we should be asking in our generation. The question question can be summed up like this, Lord, why is this happening? Why is this happening to us, Lord? Look at verse 13, and Gideon lays out the challenge, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all His wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And that's a question that occurs often in Scripture. It's a question that we see asked often in the Psalms. Lord, why has this happened to us, your people? And when you think about that question, there is a right way to ask that question and there is a wrong way to ask it. The right way is to ask it genuinely seeking the Lord and waiting upon Him and listening to His answer and heeding His answer. But unfortunately, unfortunately in our world, too many people ask that question in the wrong way. They ask it in an accusative way, that often that question is actually an attempt at denying His existence. So, you hear that. You maybe hear people ask those questions of you in your family or in your work. Well, you know, if there was a God, why would He let that happen? How could a God of love stand by and let that thing go on? And we tend to ask 
this question of the Lord. Why is this happening when we come through major things? So, surely that has been a question in our mind this past two years. As this world has been so impacted by the global pandemic, surely at times we've been asking, Lord, why is this happening? And there is an accusative way in which that can be asked and has been asked, what kind of a God would let COVID happen? Or there is an inquisitive, searching, faithful way of asking it, Lord, why has this been happening? What is it that you're saying to us? What are you saying to me? What are you telling your church? What are you telling this world in the midst of all of this difficulty and this uncertainty and this turmoil? But coming back to Gideon's question here in verse 13, of course, we know the answer. The answer is given right at the, the, the beginning of the chapter. The big reveal comes in verse 1, that it was the Lord Himself who delivered His people into the hands of the Midianites. And you might think, what kind of a God would do that? Why would He do that to His people? Well, it was the Lord's way of lovingly disciplining His wayward people so that they would return to Him, as was the result in verse 6. So, this is done for His glory, and it's done for their blessing. This is done for their good, not for their ultimate harm, and that's important. But it seems that today, when we are thinking about these issues, that judgment is automatically discounted when we try and figure out what is going on in our world. The judgment is the, the missing factor. And if anybody even dared to suggest, could God be, be judging this world? Could God be, be, be punishing this world for the wayward behavior of people that that these days would get you in very hot water, even to articulate that at all? But I want to ask you tonight, have you let this pand pandemic pass without waiting upon the Lord and spending time in His Word, considering, Lord, what have you been telling me? What have you been telling us in the midst of all that we have been living through? But the second question, very quickly, and this time it is a question that is more personal from Gideon, and it's a question of weakness. Lord, how can I do it? So, he asks in verse 15, you're, you're sending me to save a whole nation to save your people. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Sometimes at football matches, supporters chant at a rival player, who are you? Who are you? When they want to kind of belittle them, when they think they're not very good, when they haven't really heard that before, heard of them before, they want to make sure that that person feels that small. Well, here, it's as if Gideon is saying, who am I? Who am I? I feel like a nobody. And his question is understandable because, in fact, Gideon lacks the status and the background to win the respect of the people he would command. But God's answer to the question is clear in verse 16. Here is the key. He says, Gideon, I will be with you. I've not forgotten my people. 
and I'll give you the strength to defeat the Midianites. And next week, we'll see God powerfully at work in the midst of Gideon's weakness. I wonder what questions do you have for the Lord? Are you asking, Lord, where are you as I walk through this painful and this difficult situation? Lord, are you still at work in our church? Are you still at work in our community? Are you still at work in this land today? And we hear the the answer from the Lord to our heartfelt, honest questions. I will be with you. So that while the Lord allows this world to live under judgment, He has not and He never will abandon His people. And your strength will come from Him. But then the next heading is big challenge. Because the Lord promises Gideon that He will be with him, but He never ever promises Gideon that what He's been called to do will be easy. Quite the opposite. This is a big, big challenge that Gideon has given. In fact, his challenge, if you look down through this passage, is to challenge others. His challenge is to stand up against the godlessness and the idolatry of his own family and his own community and his people at that time. And these are such important verses. I believe that they issue us with a really important and relevant challenge as God's people today, that challenge to stand up and be counted, to challenge the godless society around us. So, how did God want Gideon to challenge the godlessness of those around him? Well, the Lord gives him a really difficult task. Look at verse 25. He tells him, commands him, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. And here it gets personal for Gideon. It's not some kind of abstract mission. It is go to the thing that your father has built in your own community amongst your own people and rip it down, chop it down, destroy it. Use the wood to sacrifice one of your father's prize bulls to me for my glory and for my honor. I'm trying to imagine what that would be like in our culture, in our context, within your family, if you were asked to do an equivalent thing. And I think there is such a good lesson here for God's people in what is going on in this passage. We see that certainly Gideon was willing to do the positive thing. So, if you look back at verse 24, when he sees God's angel or God face to face. He fears he's going to die, but God reassures him, no, you're not going to die. I give you my peace. So, in verse 24, Gideon does the positive thing. He built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. So, he builds an altar to God's glory. That's the positive thing. But for the Lord, that was not enough. And I want you to see this that Gideon was not simply required to do the positive thing, to build an altar to the one true God. He was also called to destroy the altar of false worship to Baal. 
So Gideon was required to do the necessary negative thing. Because after all, how could his family have two altars side by side, one to the the one true living God, the Yahweh, and one to this false god, Baal? They couldn't have a foot in both camps. And yet that's exactly how many people live today. There are many people who come to church who are happy to worship God, who are happy to praise His name and claim connection with Him, but who would also put other things alongside the living God, who would try and live for the world as, as well as live for Him. And God says to you tonight, and I want you to hear this, He says, it is not enough simply to do the positive thing, the easy thing, and to say, I belong to Jesus. I I give Jesus my allegiance. Sometimes you have to do the negative thing, the painful and the unpopular thing as well. You have to cut out from your life ungodly practices and habits. You have to deal with and do away with things that are against God's Word within your own family. And that's not easy. These are the things that bring us into conflict with family and with our own community as well. And that was certainly the case with Gideon. He was terrified as he did this thing, and understandably so. Look at verse 27. So, Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Do you see that? I'm sure the Lord would have preferred that Gideon did this in a more heroic way, out in the open, in the middle of the day for all the people to see. But as Alistair Begg notes about this passage, he says obedience was essential heroism was optional. So, in other words, Gideon was very weak in how he did this. He wasn't particularly courageous in how he did this, but he did it. That's the key thing. And in his weakness, he followed God's will, and God was then there for him when it mattered, because this could have cost Gideon his life. And in actual fact, it's his father who saves the day, Joash, with wisdom in verse 31, when he argues, well, if Baal really is a true God, then he'll deal with my son. He says, are you going to plead Baal's cause? If Baal really is a God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. People, don't let the application of this pass you by this evening, please. Take those necessary steps to deal with ungodliness in your life and in the life of your family where you continue to have influence. And take steps to challenge ungodliness in this society around us. That is increasingly difficult to do, but it is absolutely necessary. And you might not do that with great bravery. At times you might think, I should have said something more there. I should have spoken up there. I know that I missed my opportunity there. But God wants you to do it. 
and His strength will be displayed in the middle of your weakness. And then one final heading. Very briefly, the, the final heading is big heart. Because really the big, big thing going on in this chapter, especially at the end of Judges chapter 6, is that we get to see the big heart, the great patience, and the remarkable grace of our Lord. So it's a story that begins with God's righteous judgment, and it ends with His grace being so clear to see. And, and how is His grace displayed in this passage? Well, it is through the remarkable patience that He shows to Gideon when Gideon is putting him to the test. So, I want you to go right the way back to verse 16 and remember that key promise from the Lord to Gideon in verse 16. What is it He says? I will be with you. Now, that's clear. I will be with you. But as the chapter goes on, we get to see how weak Gideon's trust in the Lord really is. Because after all, he's been given the straight answer that he needs. But for Gideon, that's not enough, so that he then puts the Lord to the test. He does it first of all in verses 17 to 22, so that he says to the Lord in verse 17, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. And you get to see that the Lord's response to Gideon is full of grace and patience. Because not only does he wait for Gideon to return with the offering, but then he gives that very clear sign in verse 21 when the angel touches the, the bread and the meat and it just goes whoosh, up in a big flame. And it certainly leaves a, an incredible impression on Gideon who exclaims in verse 22, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He sees that it really is God and he's absolutely terrified. But I reckon that there are lots of Gideons floating about today. People who are not prepared to take God at His word. Because it seems to me that so often we read the Bible and what God has to say, what the Lord has to say to us in the Bible is absolutely clear. And yet so many people in churches today are not content or seemingly not content with what God has to say in His Word. They look for all kinds of signs and miracles. If this happens or if someone does this or if someone manages to do that, then I'll believe. You should not put the Lord your God to the test. And by now you'd think that Gideon had got the message, but here he comes again towards the end of the chapter. It's incredible. He knows now that it is God speaking to him. He knows that it is God who's calling him, but then he stalls again. Yes, Lord, you said that you're sending me to be the person who will save them, but just want to double check here if that's the case. Verse 36 if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. So, that's kind of contradictory. You've promised it, but I'm just checking. Look, I will 
do this really difficult thing here. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And the Lord is remarkably gracious. He does exactly what Gideon asks. He sends a sign, but it's still not enough. Verse 39, here he comes again. Gideon said to the Lord, now do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. This time, and of course it's a reversal, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so, so that only the fleece was dry. And as we come towards the end, do you know what the remarkable thing is about those verses that we have just looked at? It's not so much the miracle that God provides, as amazing as that is. No, it's the patience that He shows. That is the truly amazing thing about those verses. Her God is so incredibly patient with Gideon, who refuses to believe, who refuses to trust, who refuses to accept the promise, who keeps coming back for more and saying, Lord, just one more thing, so that I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure. And God, in His grace and His patience, gives him exactly what he needs. And it brings us back to this cycle of history that we're seeing in this part of the Old Testament and in this book. These people, they keep letting God down. They keep getting it wrong. But the Lord showed Gideon remarkable patience. And all the way through this book, we get to see the Lord showing His people, Israel, remarkable patience and grace. And He continues to show remarkable patience in ways that we don't even fully realize. And so I end with the question, what will you do with the time that God spares you in His grace? Will you respond to God's grace by repenting and trusting in Christ? Or as Paul puts in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? People, when you do this, when you come to Christ, then the promise that God gave to Gideon is a promise for you. I will be with you. And when you come to Christ, then in your weakness, and how weak we are, in your weakness, God can reveal His perfect strength. Amen.